How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 222, and it was recorded on June 15th of this year. My guest for this episode has chosen to remain anonymous. He is a retired police officer. Uh, He was a SWAT person, as well as a hostage negotiator, has served on the force for several decades. And I asked him to be on the show uh, because I wanted to hear from his side of things about Black Lives Matter and the protests and police brutality, the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and get a perspective from someone who is on the other side of the thin blue line, if you will. And the reason why he chose to remain anonymous was, I would think, for obvious reasons, that he wanted to be able to feel like he could speak freely. And that in and of itself, I think, is an irony because of some of the things we discuss and the idea that police officers should be able to call things out when they are uh, troublesome and downright violent, that he didn't feel like he could say who he was and because of what that jeopardizes. So it's a really, again, it's that irony of here he is saying, yeah, there's an issue. And yet also saying there's an issue. And when there's an issue, you should be able to speak up. And yet he's more comfortable staying anonymous, which I totally get and appreciate. But this is the problem is that people don't feel safe saying, hey, this is an issue and this is wrong. And uh, he talks about how in his own experience that he did not see the kind of brutality that has now been shown all over the internet and all over Twitter. And so many stories have been coming out and we see things in real time as they're happening. Again, I wanted to have the perspective of somebody on the other side who wears the uniform to have a really... uh, an in-depth, as an in-depth conversation as, as we could in the allotted time. It's a complicated issue, but it's certainly one that I feel is important to keep talking about, uh, regardless of the fact that it's complicated. And for me, personally, like I have friends who are police officers, who are lovely people, who are mortified by what is happening. And I've also met some police officers who are horrible, horrible people. You're going to get that everywhere. But it's my belief that if the horrible people aren't rooted out, and if police unions are keeping them uh, safe, sort of in the way I look at it, like um, the Catholic Church, how uh, there's, you know, proof without a shadow of a doubt that certain priests who had been found to molest children were not taken out of the church, but simply put into different parishes, put into different positions and such. That's an issue. This this code of silence, this code of 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 brotherhood slash sisterhood needs to stop. It hurts people. And we talk about that a bit as well. Not in terms of the Catholic Church, but in terms of police unions and and some of his experiences with uh, people uh, in the force. This is a touchy subject, but I think it's an important one to talk about. Again, he stayed anonymous for his protection and comfort level, and I have to respect that. So I choose to respect that, 
And I do appreciate the fact that, that he was willing to speak to me and to speak freely. I am not an expert on the criminal justice system, but I do believe that people have a right to be kept alive in order to have a trial. If there's violence being perpetrated against an officer, that's a whole other topic. And then I think that, you know, as my guest points out, there is a point where you have to protect your own life, and I get that. But uh, it seems to me that many of these things that I have witnessed, these videos I have seen, the officers are deciding for themselves that they are judge and jury, and that is plainly 100% wrong in my estimation, in my opinion. Okay, uh, enough about that stuff. Uh, it's going to be an interesting episode, and you probably, some of you will agree with what's being said, some of you will not, but that's the important thing about discussion. Got to hear all sides uh, in order to make a in order to get to the bottom of things. I don't know what the right answer is. <laughs> Hippie liberal that I am, I want there to be prison reform. I want there to be police reform. I think unions are powerful and can cause more troubles than they're worth. But I also think unions are important because they protect workers. Again, nothing is black and white. Right? We got a lot of gray. And as I said before, I'm no expert. I'm just here to have the conversations. I appreciate you listening um, and that this is a platform for voices to be heard. I mean, that's the whole point. Anyway, enough about all that. The usual stuff, social media, Hey Human Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. My personal social media is at Susan Ruthism, and that's Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You can email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And that being said, I recently went by Podbean to check out how the podcast was doing there and found that it had not been updated in a really long time. So I reached out to Podbean and got that straightened out. My apologies to people who are used to listening on that app and have not been able to or at that website not been able to it is now updated and hopefully will be running smoothly so they're all all the episodes are there every episode has a links page at heyhumanpodcast.com this episode is no different so if you are interested in doing some more research based on the research i have done uh, go down that rabbit hole on the links page at heyhumanpodcast.com and if you would like to join the mailing list and get mailers every I don't know, a quarter of a year, go to susanruth.com and you can sign up for the mailing list there and see some of the other projects that I'm involved in, acting and painting and, and music and such. If you're into music and you want to hear some of mine, go to iTunes and check out Susan Ruth and you will find a handful of my records and songs up there. Uh, this is an ad-free podcast and to keep it so... I rely on people donating, and you can do that at heyhumanpodcast.com, right there on that first page on the donate button. And I appreciate any and all donations. Every little bit helps and counts as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for listening. Please stay safe. Uh, love each other. Be kind and uh, have each other's backs. This is This is some strange, strange times we are in, but... We need each other. We need each other. 
And um, I just uh, don't forget that if you can. All right. Love you. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Thank you for being here. Uh, you appreciate it. Let's start off with uh, your employment background, and then I'll dig in a little bit to you personally, and then we'll get into what we're here to talk about mostly. Yeah, I, I worked for in various law enforcement capacities for about 25 years, um, combination of full-time and part-time at state level and uh, county level. What did you do in that capacity? Um, I, uh, different capacities. I was a negotiator on SWAT. Um, I worked uh, investigations. I worked drug task force, patrol, um, all those kind of things. Most, most everything uh, with the exception of canine. So in your uh, experience then, you did things where you were in like the police cars and you'd arrive at a scene and things like that too? Besides, Correct. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Patrol, um, you know, what they call a scout car, responding to call, calls, um, some proactive, you know, pulling cars over for traffic violations, uh, warrants, serving warrants, you know, those kind of things. Okay. Definitely. All right. So now we know that uh, about you. Let's get back. Let's go back into, obviously, we're keeping you anonymous. So I guess detail about your life we won't get into too much, but just a basic understanding of where you grew up, uh, the environment, uh, family, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I grew up in the Midwest um, and, uh, you know, fairly stable family, I suppose, as much as anybody. Um, we definitely had our issues um, and, you know, uh, everybody in the family went to college. Um, I, I went to college, graduated from college. What'd you get? Um, what was your degree? Uh, I have a, a bachelor of science. In policing or? No, no, in uh, communication. Okay, got it. Now, was your family uh, pro-police or what was the... Um, you know, I probably wouldn't say that. Um uh, dad was a, uh, a a criminal defense attorney. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Did he talk much about his job? Oh yeah, a lot. Definitely. What, what was the usual feel about it? I mean, that's that's a pretty intense position to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a tendency to believe uh, every one of his uh, clients. Client, yeah. No matter no matter what. Um, you know, I mean, even if they had blood all over their hands, they were innocent. You know? Um, and so I think there was kind of a bit of a, uh, you know, disdain for law enforcement a little bit. Did you feel that he, his clients were mostly, uh, middle-class or upper middle-class? Because I imagine, and he's not a court appointed. I mean, occasionally he would take a court, you know, a court appointed, um, you know, kind of pro bono. They'd get a little bit of money. But, I mean, really, I wouldn't say they were middle class. They were probably lower middle class. And then some of them even um, lower class. They would, uh, you know, pool money somehow or come up with money. And, um, you know, he definitely was not the the type of attorney that was representing the um, Bernie Madoff types, you know, definitely. 
right? Different kind of blood on his hands. Different kind of, yeah, that's true. And a lot more, yeah. Yeah. We decided to have this conversation because of all the things going on right now in not only the United States, but in the world. Uh, the protests about uh, police brutality and Black Lives Matter. From your perspective, when you first started seeing some of this stuff that first started showing up on the timelines, uh, what were you feeling about that? When I first saw the video of the officer on George Floyd, and I can't even remember the officer's no. name, and I don't... Okay, I just I don't even want to say it. Um, I mean, I was just... I was shocked. I was horrified. I didn't understand it. Um, a lot of my former officers I worked with and guys that are currently retired, we started texting back and forth and some phone conversations that I really, I was just dismayed. I, I couldn't understand. Um, no matter what his intent was, when you see the length of time what are you doing? And, you know, you know, people are sitting there filming you. It just, it seemed, it seemed insane and surreal to me. And most of us, we were just, uh, we were angered. I mean, it makes the vast majority who are good cops look bad. We knew that there was going to be protests and, and ramifications and all that, but it was just, it was just horrific. It just seemed horrific and surreal. What do you no. make of the, the officers that stood and watched without intervening? Um, they're guilty of a crime. I mean, it was no doubt what he did was murder. I mean, you just sat there and watched a man be murdered. Um, they're complicit in it. I mean, I've seen situations where I've never seen anything like that. And I never saw anything within my own agency anywhere near that. But sometimes at the end of, of a car chase, you would see an officer from another agency come up and while somebody's handcuffed, like, you know, go to kick them or something like that. And, and, you know, we would intervene in those things. You would grab somebody and go, calm down, man. What are you doing? It's like, I, I understand two of those guys were on the department for four days. It's still no excuse. They, we were, you know, taught that in the academy. Um, I just don't, I, you know, they're just, they're not, they're, impl they're guilty. They're guilty of crimes. It's, it's interesting about, you, when you say we were taught that in the, the academy, do you mean restraint? Because it seems to me that, I mean, I've seen now footage of different police, uh, I guess it would be a sergeant or a lieutenant talking to their people, saying things like, you know, go out there and kick some ass. It's... I'm, I'm I'm trying to make sense of all this as we all are, and it's, yeah, it's mean, easy to. Th so when this first started, and like Breonna Taylor with the no knock, and you know that was a horrifying tragedy, like all these things, and then you're like, okay, maybe, maybe it's just a handful of bad police officers. But now all this video evidence is coming forth, and we're seeing, especially during the protests, where it's not a couple people. This is. This is like, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, you know, just the list goes on and on and on of a gross misuse of power. So as a, I mean, you must have seen stuff too, I imagine, in your tenure, 25 years, a long time. And other police officers I've talked to certainly saw stuff within their own ranks. And then when does, when do you get to supersede the brotherhood of being a police or sisterhood of being a police officer and, and step up into the humanity? I mean, I think I was, 
fortunate enough within our agency, the number two person at our agency was extremely vocal and proactive about civil rights. And, and, and it was a political agency, okay? Um, not, nobody was under the same protection as um, civil service collective bargaining. So that makes a big difference. Um, most, uh, th- this was a sheriff's office and most sheriff's office are political. And so the deputies serve at the pleasure of the sheriff. And so you can have a, a, a you know, fraternal order of police, but it's more of a um, fraternal type organization than collective bargaining like the city police department where their union has the arbitration process and and they go to great lengths to protect officers. So that's something probably to get into here in a little bit. But to go back to what you were saying, I mean, it was always very clear um in my agency that if you did something like that, you're gone, you know, and, and you're not going to be represented um, by the district attorney and, and all those kind of things. So that was the tone. And so obviously I can't answer for all those other ones where they say, go out and kick ass. I'm telling you, I never heard that. We would always, you know, and I was on SWAT where we're going, uh, you know, uh, going in on people for warrants who were known violent people. And it was always like, let's be careful. Let's make sure if you see something um, that seems unsafe for anybody or we need to stop, meaning on our protection before we go in, you can call that out. It's like, I never once heard somebody say, let's go out and kick ass. Now, I have been to training where if your life is in danger and you're fighting for your life, you better adopt a mindset of you better kick somebody's ass. If somebody's, and I've had somebody attack me and try to get my gun and kill me. Um, and it still bothers me. It's still an incident. Um, fought in the roadside while cars just drove by. Nobody stopped to help. Absolutely. Um, and so you better dig down and find something inside you to fight or you're not going to survive that. So, there are those situations, but but to also address that, I can remember in the academy being told, and I wound up teaching in the academy, 99% of everybody you're going to run into on the street are, are lovely people. You just might be catching them on their worst day. They've gotten some of their stuff stolen or they've been assaulted or, or something like that. And I learned early on from listening to those people that a lot of times the energy you give out is what you give back. So, you know... To this day, it's like, I mean, I've got to be honest, I don't go up and speak to cops I don't know. And that surprises people. They go, you don't? I go, very rarely. And they're like, why? And I go, because they're going to be rude. And, and I think that's changed. And if you, if you listen to even some of the, you know, somewhat right-wing commentators out there, they're going to, that were ex-cops, they tell you the same thing. They're like, I, you know, I don't go talk to them. You know, they you walk up and like, what do you want? You know, those kind of things. And, uh, you know, we were just taught. And like I said, maybe it's because we were more a political agency. Be as nice as people will allow you to treat them. Just be nice. When you were a police officer, did you see other officers? I, I know you just said, you know, you were taught to be nice. But did you see the dis- um proportionate amount of use of force against people of color versus white perpetrators or white suspects? No, no. When I saw use of force, uh, it was 
it was because somebody was resisting most of the time, or you definitely, every agency has that one guy in their line, if they say they don't, that uses too much force or just stirs the pot. You know, the guy gets calmed down and you get him handcuffed and he comes in and starts, we'd call John at him and start, you know, calling him garbage or something like that and stirs the pot. And those kind of people have to be gone rapidly now. And so um, they're I not, never, they're not, there's so many officers that are coming up that are, are now the records are starting to come out and they're like, Oh, this person had, you know, 18, uh, citations or this person had seven citations or this person was fired from this job and got hired at this job. Why is there no checks and balances with that stuff? That's an issue with the union. I know personally of an officer from my city, not in my agency, um, that um, one third of his DUI arrest proved that they, 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 had, they weren't even drunk. They had no alcohol. Number one, he had 12 complaints in one year, his final year, and had been fired three times from the department, went through arbitration, mediation, got his job back. Now, here's the, the, the interesting fact. He was African-American. And so that, in my opinion, shows that the union at times protects some of the bad officers. Um, I don't think being black in, as, a, as a cop makes any difference. I mean, in fact, in some cases, I think black officers are sh- showing use of more force toward other people of color. And in order to be like, look, I'm a cop. I'm not, do you know what I mean? Like a distancing, psychologically distancing. I hear that. I mean, that was not my experience. I mean, it, it was... Um, like I said, that just that was not my experience. And I worked with a lot of really and, and one swat with a lot of fine black officers who treated everybody the same. Mm. And again, I think it has to do with our agency. You'd be fired if you did something like that. You're just gone. And there's no arbitration process to get your job back. How did the union get? I mean, unions get powerful in the case of. When the police forces become more like military operations their arm mm-hmm. to the teeth and like you know and they turn against their citizens that's i mean the unions i look at the unions as well i think well obviously y'all have been protecting some pretty bad people why do they do that wouldn't it behoove them to get the bad ones out you would think so. I mean, and those are kind of two two different issues: the militarizing of the police and then the unions. I think the unions they grow in power because of a, of a an interesting issue that if you just look at it left and right, Democrats are typically pro union, Republicans are pro, are pro police. So the police unions kind of get to exist in this little world where nobody wants to really talk to them and. They serve a good purpose in some respects. Uh, For instance, in uh, agencies where they they have required officers to have a quota, even though it won't be written, and so many tickets and all that, there's been unions that say, let our officers use their discretion to what they need to do. And so in in some of those were good. And back in the 1940s and 50s, a new chief would come in and, and take everybody's rank away and give his friends rank. And so I think there's been some positives with them. But I think absolutely we got to really look at the unions 
and and retaining bad officers. And and I know there's been um, some agencies that allow some uh, civilian input, and that should be. I, I should agree. Yeah, I fine think with that. Community input, I think, is is paramount. And I think that sure. there needs to be community outreach within each police force. They sh- they should be interacting with the community so they know who their neighbors are. They know, you know, but police buildings are nowhere near the communities. They're in these little isolated sections, you know, way over here, and they're servicing communities way over there. That is a disconnect that creates all sorts of issues. That's true. I mean, you do have some, you know, precincts that are in, you know, the high crime areas. That That's pretty common. You know, it depends on resources. I mean, obviously now they're talking about cutting resources for police and that's going to affect that. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's there's two sides to all this. And that's where I just like what we're doing right now is just have a conversation about it, but have it rationally. I mean, I've had people call me and saying, Hey, you know, that are liberal type people and say, I just, I want to get your input on this because I don't believe really everything I'm hearing. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't on either side, you know, on either side. I believe the things I'm seeing, but I I am, you know, because I, I, because I'm on social media and getting research and all that stuff and watching, like I said, video after video after video, of police officers truly behaving badly, behaving violently, you know, attacking. I mean, Jesus, these protests, it's insane the way they're responding. And, and the other side, some of the protesters responding to the police by injuring them is insane. I got to add, well, I mean, that's the, another issue. I, w- I went to one of the protests that I went to. It was very peaceful, very, very peaceful. And toward the end of it, there was this moment, or towards the end, I should say, not the end of the, the the protest, because I think it kept going. We were there for about three hours, some of my friends and myself. And uh, we were facing forward, chanting and holding our signs and kneeling and doing all these things and solidarity. And we were flanked on either side by a National Guard and police officers. The National Guard... They were one step back behind the police, so really they were kind of on more of the outskirts. And then there were police helicopters and National Guard copters above us. This is Los Angeles, so um, mm-hmm. for anyone listening that doesn't know. Um, anyway, so during this, we were all facing this particular direction, and then something weird happened. I don't even know who did it, and this is what makes me wonder, like, agitators within the group or whatever— People all turned toward the officers up on the, there was a, this sort of balcony to our left. The, the protesters turned toward them. I did not. I stayed forward because it, it was just like something bad is about to happen. And they started chanting toward these eight or nine officers. Their various things, you know, like, <laughs> fuck the police or you know, whatever they were, you know, all the different things. And they would say, like, you know, Black Lives Matter or fuck the police or defund the police to these eight officers. And I'm thinking, firstly, we don't know if these eight guys are bad guys or good guys. I get that you're talking about a whole system. Um, My niece would be very mad at me for saying this because she's like, no, fuck all police. I'm like, it's more complicated than that. But, uh, uh but as everybody, this group of thousands of people were turning toward these eight 
officers. And I turned to my friend. We, we stayed forward. We did not turn with the group. And I said, this might be a good time to leave. And my friend said, you think? I said, notice how the energy has shifted. I said, now all of a sudden, it's about these eight people. I said, if one of the people in our group here decides to throw an empty water bottle or whatever, shit's going to get real, real, real fast. Mm-hmm. It was it was so weird, though. Everything was really beautiful and super peaceful. And then suddenly the shift, I'm like, that wasn't anybody that I experienced. And it really makes me wonder if there aren't people planted in these groups to turn the tide of a particular situation to incite that violence. Yeah, but I mean- to the credit of the officers, they stood frozen in time they wouldn't even they did not change it's hard. i can't i can imagine I, I, I've, I've done i've been there i'll tell you about that in a second but but going to the paid agitators or something i mean i have to say like i'm one of the most jaded skeptical human beings on the earth and so when i hear those things that like you know george soros or whoever you oh know it's fun, I, I'm, yeah. I know but i'm just like oh that's so ridiculous and then but then i'm like and I'm not saying Soros, but I'm saying maybe somebody did pay them or just on their own. You know, I, I definitely think there is a small fraction of people that just wants us to go bad every time. And then there's people that want change like yourself that are going there to. to and so I, I do think I, I'm starting to believe that there probably are elements in there that like we just want to cause problems. And we had an issue. This has been many years ago. Um, when I was working that, uh, the, and it wasn't specifically the KKK, but some, some white supremacist group held a rally. Okay. Um, freedom of speech. They're allowed to do that. We were dispatched in riot gear and all that kind of stuff. I mean, nobody showed up to support them. They're, they're, you know, I mean, honestly, and, and, you know, this will probably elicit some negative responses from the far right, but it's like, they're morons. You know, if you just ignore people like that, nobody other than their little ugly wives and stuff showed up to support them. But protesters did. And we were, standing in line and and I got spit on several times and you know and and I'm telling you it's a hell of a thing to have another human being spit on you and you know we couldn't yeah, African Americans that one they've had that for it, I don't know like sure. 100 years yeah sure well you know not constantly but, but you know <laughs> yeah. but I'm just saying yeah I get uh, it but but the whole point is it's like like the eight officers you talked about there you don't know what side they're supporting and i definitely was not there supporting the side of the white supremacists i mean we were to be honest while we were going over there we were making fun of the white supremacists of you know and and the rally they were just ridiculous but but people assume that you're supporting that for some reason it's like no you're ordered to be there you have to be there and then you have to to take being spit on you know and it's a difficult thing you bring up a couple of things that I wanted to talk about a little further. Um, First Amendment, right to assemble, the rights to protest. But I do find it interesting that, you know, we all saw in Michigan the, the armed folks storming the mm-hmm. Capitol, police holding back the line, but still being the police were being, uh, you know, aggressively screamed at, shoved, and yet... 
There was no tear gas. There were no rubber bullets. None of that stuff happened. And then here we have the Black Lives Matter anti-police brutality protests. And the means to keep those crowds who are not armed in check was pretty freaking severe. Where's that disconnect? And you know, I'll go really quick, too. It's like one was arguing we shouldn't have to wear masks with the coronavirus. And the other was like, hey, we're human beings. We get to be, you know, we deserve to be treated as such. It's like apples and oranges. And yet, the, do you know what I mean? I, I know exactly what you're saying and what you mean. I think I can't give you the answer because I wasn't there for whatever flashpoint or whatever decision was made to deploy gas. You know, um, I've never been in a situation where my agency um, deployed uh, tear gas. I mean, I, I've pepper gassed people uh, when, you know, arresting and they're fighting you and things like that. I've seen pepper gas deployed. I've seen tasers deployed. Um, obviously in SWAT, there was flashbangs, light and sound diversionary devices, those kinds of things. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, um, I, I just don't know. I can't give you an answer that would be what, adequate. What about personally, though? You can give me your personal answer. What do you see? What do you feel when you see that gross uh, misalignment, that, you know, disproportionate response? I don't know if, if the ones with the people in Michigan, I don't recall that they specifically were yelling at the police versus they were just yelling at the other people. I don't I don't remember them attacking the police. There was plenty I of mean, video I, that showed they were shoving at them, trying to storm up the stairs. They were screaming okay. in their faces and spitting and, also, and coughing and all sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, I do remember seeing the coughing and stuff. I, I, I mean... I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, I just don't. I mean, it would that wouldn't have happened in my agency. Um, and, you know, I just don't know. Let's talk about no knock. Mm -hmm. What's your uh, what's your stance on that one? And for those listening, it's uh, well, actually, I'm going to let you say uh, tell people what that means. Cause you're yeah, I mean, I, I can, uh, there's, two, you know, basically two type of warrants, a knock and announce and a no knock. A knock and announce is typically where you knock and then through a loudspeaker or sometimes if it's, uh, you know, if it's a formal thing like SWAT going in, we would have a PA that's actually as a negotiator. That's what I get. I would get on there and announce well, such and such agency. You would say the occupant's address. You know, we have a warrant. You come out with your hands up. And we would repeat it um, uh, for minutes, for several minutes. A no-knock, and this is really important in my agency and how it should be for people to know no-knocks are supposed to be only used when it is a person that you're going into arrest that has a demonstrated history of violence with weapons, offenses against police, you know, a, a critical intelligence that there's weapons inside. I mean, every warrant we ever went on, there was weapons inside, a, a, a lots of sophisticated weapons. Um, but that is what a no-knock is, because then if, if you're going after somebody who was shot at the police before and is violent and you knock on the door and say, hey, I'm coming in in two minutes, um, there's a chance that they're going to begin getting their weapon ready and you're, you're increasing the risk for the officers. Now, with that said, 
Is it always used for that? I don't know that. You know, if there's people that are doing no-knock warrants just because they're afraid that drugs are going to be flushed down the toilet or something, I don't believe that that's what that's for. And it definitely was not how we did it. Have you studied the Breonna Taylor case? Not extensively. I mean, I've, I've read some about it. Well, they just recently released the uh, report, the police report. Why do you think, in this case, the three officers have not even been arrested? What would be... I mean, they've passed now a no-knock law there. They call it Brianna's Law, and yet the three officers who perpetrated the crime... It is a crime, in my, in my estimation, from what I've seen and read. How is it that they're not arrested yet? What was the outcome from the investigation? Did, did they show, how did the use of force get justified? Because obviously I haven't read enough about that one. They were just, and I'm, air quote, justified. Yeah, they were justifying the no-knock because they thought that um, the, the person they were seeking was inside this apartment. I mean, the whole thing was a big, uh, what's the word, foobar? Yeah, we called it a cluster. A clusterfuck, yeah. yes. Yes. You can swear, it's okay. Um, nobody knows who you well, are, so <laughs> your grandma won't be calling you later about how you behaved on the show. Um, yeah, anyway. I do remember that one. That was the wrong address, correct? Right? the okay, wrong that- address. The suspect had already been apprehended elsewhere, and Brianna Taylor was sleeping in her bed. She was shot eight times. What happened was... Three people that three officers who didn't identify themselves busted in. Her boyfriend, in his right to do so, d- was defending the, them. And then, I do. Okay. yes, I remember that. Well, I would too if somebody kicked in Absolutely. my door. So, and by the way, where's so, the NRA to step in and say that person? You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, I do find uh, that to be a, a weird conundrum, not weird at all, but vaguely racist, if not totally racist, that they are certainly all about standing up for uh, white folks with weapons and the Second Amendment. But when it's black citizens who have are in open carry states or have the right to carry a concealed weapon, there's crickets from the NRA. And I know that's not what you're here to talk about, but it is a frustration of mine. And I, I, understand. I do believe in the Second Amendment. I'm, you know, I, I do, too. Except I don't like idiots with guns. And I'll sure. always say that. Um, Good luck finding... Yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> it's like, 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 like open carry, I think, is just, you know, silly for a lot of reasons. And we can talk about that later if you want. But so back to that. First off, the wrong address. And I guess I was blessed. Our SWAT team leader and assistant team leader, before we ever went on a warrant, they had sent out... Besides them, other people would go by the address we're going to serve the warrant on, take pictures of it. I mean, we had this exhaustive packet, you know, that where the address was verified. Everybody double-checked it, triple-checked it, quadruple-checked it. I mean, very, very thorough. So, I honestly, I don't see how that happens other than if it's a uh, sometimes drug task forces uh, go get a warrant and they, they're just kind of in a hurry to go do the do the warrant and and do their thing i'm just guessing on how that could happen if you go in i would expect if i had gone into the wrong house and killed somebody to at least be charged with manslaughter um that that would be you know and to be fired 
I mean, be fired would be day one. And I can tell you, um, I occasionally do consulting with agencies on really um, sticky issues. Uh, and, and there was one that I consulted on that wound up blowing up on this agency. And that's what I had told him. I said, fire the officer, fire their supervisor. And, and they and they did not. And it blew up on him in a horrific way. So uh, in, in a situation like that, that's what I would expect to happen. I, I would expect to be fired and to be um, getting an attorney, you know, for manslaughter. Well, please call them then and tell them that. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I don't even, I'm, I hate to even say it. I don't even know what agency that was, but it's obviously not one that I've dealt with. But, uh, and, and when we uh, would go in on warrants, every person going in and, and the operators went in on SWAT. I was a negotiator. I was, I did not go in. Um, but I mean, they yelled, you know, our agency identifying themselves over and over and over and over and over. So, you know, coming into your house as law enforcement, everybody was yelling, you know, the agency name. What do you think about the, uh, the Rayshard Brooks incident in Atlanta? He was sleeping in his car and then it escalated and mm -hmm. he ended up, I believe he ended up taking a taser off of one of the officers Right. I, I, I do know about that one. And I've had several discussions about that. Um, here's the thing. A lot of people are hanging their hat on that. The taser is a less than lethal weapon. So why did he shoot him? That's what they're saying. Here's what I'm going to say. When you get the taser taken away and, and obviously I was not there. And so I'm just telling you what I've seen on the, on the media and what I've read, but the officer uh, deployed a taser on him and he ran so he's resisting arrest. He's leaving, trying to leave. And he somehow gets the officer's taser and is turning it towards the officer when the officer shot. In my opinion, that's justifiable. Here's why. Because if that officer is tased and incapacitated, that, that person can get his weapon. Nobody's going to like hearing this. I, I understand that. And, and with everything that's going on right now, um, it's not going to be a popular opinion, but that's the thing. I mean, if, if, if they get your taser and they deploy it on you and you're incapacitated, then they have access to your weapon and what can happen from there. There were more than one officer on the scene. Sure. Firstly, secondly, the man was asleep in his car. If he had been white, you don't think that would have been handled differently? Knock, knock, knock. Hey, buddy, why don't you get out of here? Time to drive home. I'm only addressing the part, I mean, I'll get to that, but I'm I only, only right now addressing the part about shooting him for deploying the, the taser. Um, coming up on the car, it's like, obviously, I don't know what is in those officers' hearts. You know, are there racist police officers? Of course, as there are doctors and lawyers and cashiers, of course. Um, we don't know. I mean, I haven't seen body cam, how he responded when they knocked on the window. I don't know that part. So it's just, I mean, could he have said that? Would he have done that? If, would they have done the treated it the same if he was white? I can't answer that. I can just tell you um, a lot of these things depend on, again, the reaction of the suspect, you know, and, and in a lot of these things uh, where they're resisting arrest, you know, it's like it's going bad. And a lot of those are definitely bad shootings that, you know, where they shot the one gentleman in the back that was running through the park. I, I, I can't answer 
why in the hell that happened? That's not how I was trained. And it, 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 it scares me. I mean, do I get nervous when I get pulled over by the police? Yeah. I mean, people, I mean, I always have, but it's like, now I'm like, I'm very, very careful. And I typically have a firearm in the car because I can carry one. And I tell them that, you know, but I think resisting arrest and running is 100% not the thing to do now. It's just, even if you just take in the, the, the issues that have happened with the unarmed people getting shot, it's like that proves that, you know, live to fight it in court or something like that, but live, you know, the resisting is an issue. Do American citizens not have the right to demand freedom before incarceration, especially in things like this. If I had somebody wanting to cause violence against me, I would certainly run as well. You know, in that moment of fight or flight, when do when do you go, oh, this is a human being that's got the shit scared out of them? To shoot I mean, somebody that's... to kill who's running away from you. It's inexplicable. The only time that that can be justified is if that person had just you know, massacred somebody and is going to go hurt somebody else, then that's how I was taught deadly force, you know, but when they're unarmed from the start and that happens, Susan, I can't explain that. I think I about that video of the guy, the white guy, the, the, I think he was in his twenties. He had just murdered three people and he assaulted police officers and he was resisting arrest and he got arrested without incident. That, that happened just last year. And then you've got somebody like a Willie McCoy last year here. And I think it's McCoy. Last uh, last year in um, in California, he was sleeping in his car in a Taco Bell, and he got shot fifty five times. Do you know, it's it, I can't help but notice there's a pattern. White people get away with a lot more than black people. I mean, I think if you if you're a police officer and you're working in the inner city, you definitely have to you police different than you would be if you're in, and I'm Beverly Hills, and I've, I've never been to Beverly Hills. So, um, but, you know, that's, that's the reality of that. Uh, you know, does that mean that you have to, you know, shoot people or things like that? No, but you do have to be more alert. I mean, if you're just a citizen walking through the inner city, you're going to have to obviously be a little more aware. You're, you're in a dangerous situation. Most of the people in there are fine people. Like I said, they're, they're almost, uh, vi- you know, they're victimized by, by some of the element that's in there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I think you have to look at the totality of all the incidents and, and really look at the numbers and say, is that really the truth? And I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying, you know, are they treated different? I know that I treated, I was more cautious and a little more aggressive when I was around known criminals, white or black, than I would if I, you know, pulled over somebody for speeding and it was, you know, a 70-year-old grandmother, whether they were white or black. You know, those almost would be, you're apologetic almost. I'm, I'm sorry. And, you know, so I, I, I think it's very easy to armchair quarterback situations that are terrifying because law enforcement is hours and hours and hours of tedium and boredom sprinkled with moments of sheer terror. Now, again, the use of force, like with unarmed people running and stuff like that, uh, there's something 
that has gone wrong with that that I can't answer. And I, I would say it has to do with training. I don't know if it's recruiting, um, but I, I do. And, you know, I, I developed for the, my agency and taught a crisis de-escalation class years and years ago. And my theory is that abusive officers are abusive officers. I mean, when I, when I met abusive officers, it didn't matter if they were, you know, Native American, uh, you know, black, white, they were just abusive and, and probably abused their spouses or girlfriends. And in some cases they did abusive people tend to be abusive people. So we, we would have to look at the incidents of those officers and see, who, who else have they abused potentially? I read a statistic, uh, I think it was in Newsweek, that said um, that within the police officer community, it's 40%, which seemed like an insanely high number, uh, have history of domestic violence. That's, do you, could you speak to that at all? Or do you know? I mean, I, I, you know, do I know any? personally any officers that you no, know, I, I mean do you know about uh, the statistic I've heard that well I mean and statistically police have way higher suicide divorce it's like yeah. I think that's 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 the danger of the job is that you it's it's us against them not white against black but just us against bad people is, is the and and I have felt that way at times where it's like man everybody's bad and then you got to sit back and go no dumbass they're not you're just having to, you're running into a lot of them. You know, it's like when I was on SWAT, I felt like that. And then one of my teammates was like, well, dumb shit. That's all we're going after is bad people. And of course they're not, you know, not everybody's bad. And you have to kind of hopefully have a support group either at home or amongst your peers to support that. But there's, there's definitely that mentality. I mean, I feel it now. Like I said, I don't hardly ever go up and speak to police officers. But if you're like at a festival or something, the last time I tried, a couple of them were talking. I went up to ask hey, some directions and they were just like, what do you want? You know, and I said, nothing. Never mind. You know, and it's that us versus them mentality that requires a lot of self work, which most people don't do. And definitely most police probably don't. That's required. You have to do that. So, I mean, I think that's part of it. After that one particular protest I was talking about when we were walking back to the car, we had to walk through a line of police officers. They were aligned the wall here and all their, their motorcycles were here. So we walked sort of through a tunnel of that. And I was, try you know, as I often do, I was trying to put myself in their shoes. And, uh, as we were walking, I was looking at them, and they there was a very much a sense of us versus them feel. I didn't get that same feeling off the National Guard folk. They seemed almost uncomfortable about being there, weirdly. Mm -hmm. The ones that I experienced. I'm not saying that's unilaterally true, but what I was feeling off of folks. Um, but man, yeah, there was definitely, the, the police officers, there was a level of intensity and it just brought me back to that uh, that concept of back in the day, and not to say that there have not always been bad police officers, just like there's always been good police officers, but, but back in the day, the fact that the community outreach was so much better. And that's, to me, that's defund the police is the literally the worst thing you could use as far as a descriptor. It's a reallocation of funds. It's an understanding that an armed-to-the-teeth policeman 
doesn't need to go do a welfare check. They've got other shit to do. You know what I mean? The, the, those can turn, it can turn sour pretty quick. I was reading some nurses were coming out and saying, you know, look, we deal with these kinds of people all the time and we never kill anyone. Grant, I think I made that joke to you. Granted, they have right. a way to sedate them. But, hey, man, there's an idea. What if instead of a gun, you used a sedation? I don't know. I hear, I know, I hear a lot of that. And, and I had an interesting kind of back and forth with a friend on Facebook from high school about, you know, not utilizing police and on domestic violence calls and things like that. And, and here, here's the reality of that. Like a nurse. They, they maybe have that person in their hospital or clinic, all right? When you go to their home, <laughs> especially in the kitchen, there's knives, there's forks. You know, you don't know where weapons are. So, I mean, I can tell you domestic violence things are some of the most volatile, scary things. The first time I ever get, got punched by a woman was in a domestic violence call because she had been beaten up. Um, the state I was in years ago changed it to where when you see visible signs of abuse, no discretion. You take the aggressor to jail because there were times in the past where, you know, oh, okay, you guys knock it off. You go say, and then he, the guy kills the woman. All right. And so rightfully so, they changed that. They, they, they took the discretion away, um, which, which went bad at times if you found a man with scratches all over him and you take the female to jail, you know, but that, that's how it went sometimes. But anyway, um, some of the worst volatile, dangerous situations are domestic violence calls. It's like, are they all like that? No. Are, are they an incredible pain in the ass and feel like, you know, I mean, in your mind, sometimes you're on those going, seriously, I'm here solving your thing because you didn't want mac and cheese tonight, you know, and it's, and they're fighting and you're just kind of like, wow, I got to come here and solve this. So I can understand people thinking that, I think the reality of it is you would have some people killed, you know, uh, does that mean that, that, you know, they need to walk in with an AR-15 on that? No. And I don't think that happens on domestic violence calls. I do think, you know, I'm open to uh, that. There maybe has been some too much militarizing of the police. And sometimes when I see him wearing what we would call like a raid vest all the time going in on, on, you know, calls like that, maybe that does send the wrong signal. I'm open to that. Uh, I, I'm not disagreeing with that, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But I even had this person on Facebook was saying, well, you know, traffic, you know, we should just have civilians pulling people over, you know, uh, not cops for traffic. And I was like, man, do you know how many people that were – you know, dangerous wanted felons that, that we find on traffic stops and that have weapons in the car. And, you know, it's like that. I don't think that's the answer either. I don't. Um, and the other, I'll call it a myth. I've seen people on there like, oh, cops just, they're not trained to handle any of this. They don't have any kind of training. And it's like, I think, you know, obviously that is, that, that changes uh, department by department, but it's like, all, all cops pretty much get training on how to handle mentally ill people and all those kind of things. They, they do. I mean, their uh, training has really improved over the last 25 years. So I don't think that's, I think they try to paint the picture that it's like these bumpkins going out that just jumped out of high school and got 10 hours of all, you know, and it's just not the case. You yeah. know? I'm trying to think I've dated three casually or whatever three different police officers at different times one turned out to be a total nut job 
and he ended up in jail actually for attempted murder. So yeah, wow. I, I knew how to pick Lovely. him. I knew how to pick him in my twenties. But the other two uh, <laughs> were quite lovely and did have a, a definite understanding of how to how to uh, connect with people. But mm-hmm. I, my concern is that it seems like these days uh, there is a definite lack of empathy that is happening. It, it would appear that way, you know, and, and uh, I mean, I, but I still believe that the vast majority of police officers are wonderful people. There's a few that, that ruin it for everybody else. Um, so, I, I, you know, the ones I know, like I said, does every department have that one guy, like I said, that is like, this guy should go. Yeah. But shouldn't everybody do. else then, here, here, I think I made this analogy the other day on, on one of these shows, I can't even keep track of... of what I've said, but uh, if there is 10 bad apples, or as they like to call them for some weird reason, if there's 10 bad police officers and 90 good police officers who are aware that there are 10 bad police officers and those 90 do nothing, doesn't that actually mean there's 100 bad officers? I mean, I think what you have is, is cases where they do something like the example I use and, and that has replicated itself where they, they get fired because this one I'm talking about, other officers had reported this person and, and you know, I, I knew this person uh, that I talked about that the union brought back, not as a friend. I was out on calls he was on, and I was just like, this guy should not have a gun, should not have a badge, um, you know, passed it on to his supervisor. The guy was fired three times. That, I think, is more of a union thing in those instances where we really got to take a hard look at the unions and politically, I don't think that's going to happen much because like I said, Democrats like unions. I mean, I had the conversation with my, my father who is very much uh, left wing Democrat. And I said, man, the unions are the problems. He's like, Oh, we don't want to touch those unions. Oh, you know? man, I, like, I'm a, I, I don't know. I'm definitely a liberal, obviously. Duh. But, uh, I'm a complicated liberal because of the things that I believe, you know, I'm, I'm more sort of in the, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm a centrist. I'm, I'm a centrist myself. So the, the idea that a union is untouchable is horrifying to me, especially, and I saw the video of the union head getting mad saying, you're, you're treating us like thugs and this, and I'm thinking, well, you know, the pot calling the kettle black there. If you well, can't I think- go in and see... If, if quote-unquote Democrats who like unions can't see the issue and Republicans, quote-unquote, who, who like cops can't see the issue, if there can't be some sort of a come-to-Jesus on that, we're in real trouble. Well, I think we're in real trouble, Susan, because it's like, as a negotiator, if, I, if I'm negotiating with some guy who's taken a hostage and his demands are ridiculous, you know, I want a Learjet, you know, and $5 million and only Domino's pizza. And I'm like, look, we're going to, we'll, we'll send you some McDonald's. Nope. It's this or nothing. That's how this feels to a certain extent, because both sides are so polarized that, okay. yeah. and, and, and facts aren't coming in in a lot of play. And, and I know you're talking about the union rep in New York who was, who was, that's, yeah, that's and, right. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And to a certain extent, I also agree with what he's saying. It's like, we're lambasting 
all the good police because of a few bad. We, we, you know, there's there's hundreds of thousands of encounters, millions of encounters every year that go okay. So, what is the real problem? You know, it's just it's kind of like oh, we've got a, a cancer on the knee, really. Let's cut them off at the waist. No, let's go in. Let's work on the union issue. One thing. Let's stop resisting arrest on the other side. That'll that'll start some things right there. You know, and what, and it, go ahead. sorry, but what about the towns that do have a a less of a militarized police force, less of a over your shoulder police force, and crime has gone down because of it. It's sort of that thing of, uh, and again, it's if you are expecting me to do bad all the time, eventually I'm like, fine, I'm going to do bad. If that's how you feel about me, then fine. You know, it, it feels like that. And in places where they have de-escalated the police force, de depopulated the police force, mellowed it out, made it more of a community situation, crime has gone down. Now, I mean, uh, you look at Camden, New Jersey, you know, which was one of the most violent places in the in the country. It's improved. It's still violent, but it's improved. I think you have to look at community based police initiatives. Um, I, I think that's that's definite to completely demilitarize. I mean, to send a SWAT team in on a known violent person with with, you know, I'm sorry, they're going to have to have that equipment and stuff or they're going to get killed. Of course. That's why but, I hate the word defund, because I think that it, it, it causes uh, it's a smoke and mirrors. It's like an Oz thing. The, the, the great and powerful Oz says defund the police. Well, let's pull the the curtain back and look at what that actually means. Right. But I think you, you, you've got to look at, at getting out and, and, and meeting the people in your area and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we did that to a certain extent where, where we could. Um, and it works in some cases and in some cases they're just going to hate you. You know, I mean, I, I can remember delivering Christmas presents, you know, into the, the inner city area at Christmas and, and being just treated like shit over it, you know, and, and it's very disheartening. You're but just it's kind of understandable like, okay. if you have a group that is used to the police being aggressors. I could imagine that even when the police come in and try to do something nice, it's like PTSD, you know, living while black has its own level of PTSD. If I get pulled, sure. if I get pulled over by a police officer, it's one thing versus if I have a, a friend who, who's black, he's, he's well off, has a nice car, and he's been pulled over countless times in that car because he quote-unquote fits a description. Well, what that is is, no, you don't believe a black man is driving a nice car or something like there's no do you know what I mean there's just there's a lot of bullshit going on and so it doesn't surprise me that there's a there's a knee jerk reaction to an officer when your whole life has been these people aren't nice to me I don't trust this cookie that they're now all yeah. of a sudden trying to give me when I've been poisoned by every cookie they've ever given me before I mean, I can understand that. I think you, you have to have empathy for that. I, I think it's gotten worse, obviously. I mean, I had an interesting conversation about an hour before we talked today with a, a, a black friend from high school. And I, and I just said, I go, am I missing something? I don't remember it being like this when we were in high school. And he was like, it wasn't. 
He goes, there was little pockets of it here and there, but he goes, I never felt it at, at our school from you or any of the people. He goes, you know, I didn't. And he goes, I don't know. And he's a minister. He goes, I don't know what the hell's happened. I don't know well, there's why a lot it's more gotten people. this way. There's a lot more people. There's a lot more uh, division, uh, economic division. There is. And as, as that keeps going, the more and more you see the rich here and the poor here, and this vast emptiness in between, there's really not a middle class. The, the, the no, more that happens, the more that happens, the worse it's going to get. So it's an Part economic of, problem as well. I think it's an economic problem, but what I talked to him about, and I've talked about several friends, my personal opinion, we're like in a culture of rude. I mean, if we go somewhere now and we get really good customer service, it's kind of like, what? oh, that's neat. You know, I mean, I'm kind of used to cashiers being surly and, uh, you know, and, and so it's like, I don't think we're, uh, you know, I, I love humanity. I don't really, I'm not so loving humans anymore. And I think it's an issue that we're just not that nice to people anymore. And, 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 and I think it's a human issue. In well, a I lot think of that it's perpetuated in shows like Real Housewives and all that, where it's considered fun or funny to have people going at each other's throats all the time. Yeah. You know, or shows like Cops where they show the worst of humanity being taken down. You know, the, as we, <laughs> it's the gladiator mentality. We go to the Coliseum to watch the most insane shit go down and we revel in it. As long as yeah. that feeds us, we're in trouble. And, and it's feeding us and we're, you know, I, I remember Dennis Miller used to introduce one of his news things uh, and he would say, let's see, and I'll probably misquote this, but like, let's see who's, uh, who's feeding it, who's buying it and who's eating it or who's, who's eating it or feeding it or something. And it's kind of true. It's like uh, on Facebook now, it's like uh, you put a pretty innocuous post and it's like sharks coming in and just biting you and nipping. And it's like, it's so hateful. And it's like, uh, I, I just think. I think people have to just get back to being decent to people. Well, how do you do that? I don't know. I mean, I try, you know, but, and I know, I mean, I can tell you this, in my law enforcement career, I never once had a complaint, not any kind of complaint, never once went before internal affairs, nothing, because I treated people as nice as they would allow me. Now, does that mean I was a pussy and didn't use, uh, no, I kicked somebody's ass if they needed a, an ass kick and, and attacked me, you know, or, or hurting somebody. You're a big guy, too. How tall are you? That helps, too. 6'2". You're 6'2", and you are 6'2", across shoulders, too, I think. You're a, <laughs> you're like a tank. That helps. That helps. That's right. And, and I think that helps. But but also, I would get out and smile at people and be like, man, how are you doing? It's like, and I mean, I have, you know, lots of stories where I gave people breaks, too. I don't think people do that as much. I caught dozens of people with like small amounts of weed and I'm like man just go home you know just don't be driving around that you're gonna get in trouble and you know I don't know that that happens as much anymore on either side meaning whether it's black or white I mean I know I just well there's I, quotas I, too right like y'all are supposed to bring in a certain amount of people to I mean the industrial there, complex there, that is there's not but 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 there is I mean it's like we honestly did not but some agencies, you know, New York had that issue for a while and the unions helped them there to say, look, we're not going to write 12 tickets a day. You know, let us use our discretion. You have a tremendous amount of discretion as a police officer. You know, it's a hell of a thing to deprive somebody, you know, of their freedom. It really is. And 
And, and the other thing, going back to the whole George Floyd thing, is like when somebody's handcuffed, the way I was trained and the way I acted, it's done. It's done. Now, you get them handcuffed and they're trying to bite you or something, you're going to have to restrain their head somehow. Well, put them you know, in the car. Of course, you know, of course. I, I still, going back to all that, I'm never going to be able to explain why he was laying I don't get it. But there's I, been I video that's come out since. Like, again, I'm all over Twitter watching all this stuff, and there's been video taken of other officers in other states doing the exact same thing. And when the, the perpetrator says, uh, the suspect says, I can't breathe, uh, the cops are, can you can hear them saying, that won't work here, or we don't give a shit, or shut the fuck up, or whatever. And that's the other thing that boggles the mind. When literally millions of people around the world are protesting against police brutality and it's like the the police are doubling down on their brutality which is surreal to me you would think it would go the other way and be like yeah man i honestly don't think they are i think a lot of these videos i know i've seen like this happened three months ago and the department's you know releasing it now i think there's some of that but in the era of, of cell phones, to do anything gray is silly in body cams and all that. I don't. I, I never had a body cam. We didn't have that when I was on. And so, uh, you know, you could have if you wanted to do more. I didn't and, and, and didn't see that. But my point being, you know you're probably on video now. I don't, it's like people that murder people now. And then it's like, oh, yeah, their cell phone pinged this tower right where the body was found. It's like, well, of course. I mean, you really, it's difficult to get away with anything well, now. There's cameras on every corner. And, and what about the police officers that cover up either their name or their, they turn off their camera? I think that should be an offense right there. That should be a, a departmental policy. I mean, it, it, it's at the point now. I mean, I, uh, an attorney who represents police officers, I saw a posting he put on Facebook where he was just basically said, listen, you've got a body cam. You pull somebody over. You've got their tag. You've got their picture. If it's a misdemeanor situation and they're acting stupid and they want it, just let them go if they're, if they're resisting or whatever. Now, I'm telling you, with all this stuff we're talking about, crime rate is going to rise. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I hope a year from now you're like, see, it didn't happen. But the, the people getting away with things like that, it's probably going to rise. But he's got a valid point as a police officer. Why do you want to then, uh, you know, go in and scuffle with them over a misdemeanor situation? Um, I think adrenaline is a part of it. I think, um, like you said, the us versus them mentality. Another thing, and this is... T- purely speculation on my part i have nothing to back this up at all but i have noticed that a lot of these officers are jacked to high heaven so are they using steroids are they which also alters mood you know there are other things maybe at play i mean it's a it's and again zero evidence to back that up that's just my that's just my i mean that could be i I mean the cops that we walked past after that one protest they were freaking ripped i mean ripped some were very, I mean that, you know rotund but mostly they yeah. were i mean they could be i mean uh, the the cops i knew that were the biggest ripest guys had the biggest hearts they wanted to save everybody they didn't feel like they had a lot to prove i i had a theory when i taught and designed a crisis de-escalation class that a lot of the abusive cops are cowards because they don't have Fully. a they're bullies, number one, but also they don't have the confidence that they can react, so they act. 
That's my theory. Is it based on anything scientific? No, just experience. But that, you know, if somebody just acts a little hinky, boom, they start, you know, wailing on them or something where somebody who's physically able to take care of themselves is like, let me see where this goes for another minute before I really have to try to do something. It's such a surreal thing. I think back to 9-11, for example, and, you know, 19 years ago, and officers and firefighters you know, who went in way above and beyond the call of duty. I mean, it chokes me up to think about it. And there was such a sense then of community, global community, to say the very mm-hmm. least, but certainly uh, that sense. And just to think that all of that is now gone. It's gone. I don't, I don't know, and I hope I'm wrong. I don't know that we'll get it back in the next decade. That's, you know, a uh, part of what I do now is, is risk uh, advice for people and, and risk assessments. And, and, and if I look at it, I try to look at everything from a 30,000 foot view, get out of the street and look up of how everything. It's like I see this being a very difficult decade. Um, again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope, you know, but um, I think you're going to see actually less quality police officers because right now, why would anybody want to be a police officer? Well, unless it's an answer, again, it's a pendulum swing, right? So if if I see that justice isn't being done, if I see inhumanity and and, uh, abuse of power, and that's something that I want to change, then I'm going to go... Study law, study civic responsibility and civil and civil history. I think those things should be required anyway in police officers. Honestly, I don't think it should just be like you get to go in and now here's your badge, go and here's your gun and go to it. I think you need to have a, a historical lesson in in civics and in civil rights and you know all these things. Besides, I feel like some of these officers don't even know much about the laws that they're supposed to be upholding. In my experience, I mean, like, watching some of these, again, I'm I'm watching videos that people are posting, like, holy shit, this just happened, holy shit, just, this just happened. And that's true, too. I shouldn't say just police officers. I think every American should know what their rights are. Know your rights. Know your rights. Know your rights. Know the Constitution. Read the freaking Constitution. And yeah. also, you don't get to say the Constitution is okay for this, and then be mad at other people exercising their right to to the constitution as as well. You, there's that the freedom to assemble. The I have talked to some very conservative people that are like, you know, we're gonna not wear masks and we're gonna you know go protest against having to wear masks, and they get mad that the protesters over here are protesting civil liberty and civil rights. It's like, well, you don't get to be all about the First Amendment here but not okay with it over here. It doesn't work that way. I, I agree with that. And, and I mean, I, I, what I think is good police officers are going to be retired now. I mean, and I, let me just take another step back to all the videos where you're seeing with the bad ones. I, absolutely. That's happening. It's you see it, but there's millions of encounters with good ones that nobody is going to care about at this point because the vast majority of encounters go fine they really do and the vast majority of police officers are fine you've you've dated three one was bad you know but but the vast majority of them are going to be more like the other two i'm telling you that now with that said most officers i know that can retire are retiring now 
they're going to get out. They're done. Now, what, what is that going to do? Brain drain. The guys that are expert in homicide investigation, some of them are going to be leaving. Guys that are experts in chasing pedophiles, they're going to leave. You know, you're going to you're going to absolutely. And again, hope I'm wrong, but you're absolutely going to see a rise in crime because good ones are going to leave. It takes a long time before somebody's a good investigator, a good SWAT officer, or whatever. I don't necessarily agree with that, and here's why: because uh, for I'll use murder as a good example, serial killers or 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 rapists for an example. Community uh, armchair detectives, just regular you and me, not you because you're in police force, but regular folk who take it upon themselves to investigate cold cases and things like that have actually helped capture folks. True. True. That's, and I that's think 100% that more true. of that, the more that we as a society feel that it is important that all of us stand up against pedophiles or murders or what, you know, the more that that happens, perhaps. And again, that's that community engagement. If you as an officer say to me, hey, Susan, you know, keep an eye on on the neighborhood. Let me know kind of what's going on. Not the weird ass, as they call them, Karens who get mad at every black person (laughs) who exists, but, but true community partnership. And I think you had mentioned too, the, um, uh, that some of the police precincts are more governed by community outreach in some places. Yeah, in some, in some areas. Like I, I think, and I, I understand what you're talking about, like the, the uh, oh, what do you call it? Not crime, uh, oh, murderinos and all those. Murderinos. You know, like I, I listen to uh, My Favorite Murders. Yeah. yeah. Um, Paul Holes, though, super experienced gentleman who spearheaded the DNA part Just of retired. catching, you know, what a, what a brain in that brain. guy. That's that's from experience. Um, so that, and, and financial crimes, crimes that people, it's not going to be as exciting as a murder stuff. I'm telling you, there's officers that are, you know, fingerprint guys and the crime scene technicians. It's like, there's going to be a brain drain, you know, potentially with that because it's just going to, it's a situation at this point that a lot of them that I know, they're looking for their exit. You but know, don't, don't you think start. it can be demilitarized, though? There, I mean, I understand where you're coming from with SWAT. That's a whole nother level. They shouldn't be engaging SWAT into a peaceful protest. I mean, that's hopefully not going to happen, although it certainly has felt like that's the case. When I went to the stuff that I went to, I could see people up on rooftops. You know, I could see... I could you have to do that nowadays, though. I mean, think about what happened in Vegas with the no, shooter in Dallas. I get it. It's sad. But I'm just saying to. that that mood, it shifts things around, and it, it makes people very uneasy. I don't know that other people noticed the things that I noticed, but, you know, I grew up with my dad, who taught me to notice things like this, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, man. It's... I don't I, I mean, I think it would be interesting, some of the, you know, Minnesota, you know, it's like... Pull the police out of there and see what happens. And I don't mean it like, ha, ha, ha. I'm saying, okay, demilitarize it, take it out, you know, experiment. I don't want to live somewhere like that. I don't. I, think I don't. that they're going to take it all the way out. I think that what they're, what, what's being asked for is a, is a, firstly, an acknowledgement that the brutality is out of hand. Secondly, uh, that you don't need <laughs> tanks at a at a protest march you know people that are unarmed you don't need to use tear gas they were culling people into sort of this herd circle which uh 
you know, police on this flank, police on this flank, police on this flank. That's going to create chaos regardless. That's scary. I think that, I mean, I don't know what the best answer is because, you know, you also look at situations like Dallas where there were people gathered and next thing you know, there's a sniper down there shooting cops. You know, you look at what happened in, in Ferguson where they began rioting and, you know, it, it, it violently and all that. It's like, when do you call in the quote military aspects of it? I don't know. And when is it too late? When is it? When do you say, "Hey, it's just property. Let it burn." When I dated the uh, Chicago cop, <laughs> uh, I remember uh, I was he and I had a date uh, during one of his breaks. I was in Chicago visiting, and we went to Barnes and Noble, and we were in kind of a, a more treacherous part of town, whatever. And because that was his beat, and that's what it's called right his beat. And um, so we were in the Barnes and Noble walking around or whatever, and uh, then he gets called away, so we had to leave. And then he called me on my cell phone. He said, "I need you to stay in the Barnes and Noble." I said, "Why?" He said, two blocks down, there's a gang thing going on. They're shooting at each other." And I was like, "Oh shit! Like, be careful." He said, "Oh, we don't go in. We wait until they've shot each other all up, and then we go in." We let them just kill each other, and then we go in. And I, I hung up the phone, and I was just like, what? what? The fuck? It's like, it's so hard to wrap your brain around any of it, to be honest. It, it is. And, and I mean, you know, you mentioned Chicago. I mean, it's like, what was it, two weeks ago, 26 people killed. Every weekend, it's it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, that's not being addressed enough, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. That is, is something that, uh, for some reason the quote left doesn't want to talk about you know it's See, like, I, I have an issue with that too the whole left right thing i think that's a problem we need to just let's just stop politicizing the fuck out of everything and start looking at it on a human level i, think I wish we could well all it takes is doing that you know it's, okay i mean I, I don't disagree with that it just i, I think I think things are so polarized now that it's like almost like pick a side. And and I don't want it to be that way. I I don't. You know, I have some leftist views and some right views. I'm really more of a centrist, you know. Um, But whoever is not really addressing those issues of why is there so much violence in those areas? You know, why? What can we do? You know, I mean whatever they're doing there police-wise, it's not working. And it's not, I'm not saying it's the police fault. I mean, Chicago Police Department is a good police department as a whole. Wonderful officers, most of them. They are. And, and, and this is, I mean, I just, I can't say that enough when we talk about all the massive brutality across the country and stuff. I, I don't buy that. It is, it is an issue. If there's one issue, if there's one George Floyd, it's too much. Too much. Well, there's but, lots of, again, I've been watching lots of videos of people's right. interactions. Now that it's on film, there's a, you know, right. now that we can see. But you're not it, seeing the good ones because it's boring. Yeah, and I think the media is stirring all this up. And, of course. Well, that, and, and, that's true. The media was all about, oh, civil unrest and the peaceful protest, you know. And now that the peaceful protest really 100% peaceful as they're moving through and with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people and working within those protests, they're rooting out the bad seeds and being like, this is a bad person, get them out of here. Right. You know, that that isn't being televised. Because let's be honest, the media on both sides love a good horror story because that's, that's what sells. Of course, it's, it's boring to say everything's going well and everybody's getting along. I guess I just, I go back to the vast majority of 
encounters of police with citizens go well. We just hear about the bad ones. And if you look at the, and I, and I still don't know his name and that's purpose. And you don't, please don't say it. The guy that killed George Floyd, he, uh, he had had complaints and things like that. Like obviously, yeah. you know, that department, when I, when I saw that and when I saw um, them firing the uh, rubber bullets at the people on their balcony or on their porch, like, something's wrong something's, something's wrong. wrong with the department you know yeah. and 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 maybe you know they've got to look at breaking the union contract or something like that and 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 starting over maybe that's what they mean by defunding is, is starting over with something i think some case, of them are not wrong. renewing their union contracts i've been reading i, I think that that's too. true yeah and i think that's certainly a start and if the unions are upset about that then the unions need to look internally at what at what they can do to to be of service because isn't that what yeah, they, we're all about? We're, we, are, as humans, are of service to each other. We are. And most policemen that I know and me, myself, got into it to catch bad guys. That's what we did. it, And to help people, both. But it's to catch bad guys. You know, and, and uh, it, it had nothing to do with race. You know, it didn't. It was just want to catch bad guys, you know, and, and help people. Um, that's it. Yeah. And, the unions have a place, but they've got. There's got to be a way to get rid of the bad cops really fast, mm-hmm. really fast. Not like the example I used—the guy that was fired. What job? Well, you couldn't be. He's not the only you one. Get that fired three times. A lot. No, it happens. Absolutely not. Yeah, it happens a lot. And, and, yeah. And in what job could you have in the civilian world that you get fired and they bring you back and then you get fired again? And they're like, oh, Susan screamed at the customer. You're fired. Oh, she's coming back. Well, we'll the Catholic Church has issues with that as well, right? With priests getting fired and then replaced in a different, not fired Absolutely. per se. I don't think you get fired as a priest, but get taken out of one position and put in another and, you know, all of that. Yeah, the the covering up of evil do evil deeds is a is a problem it is and protecting the evildoer is a problem and uh, i mean look at the banking industry my god talk about looking the yeah. other way and protecting horrible people horrible people yeah yeah it goes back to that culture of root it's just like people are i mean i, I try to have hope but it's like just in general, it's like it seems like people aren't very nice. No, you know, it's I know. I again trying to, yeah. and I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this stuff because I I'm frustrated and I'm mad and I'm sad and I'm and it is Me tough too. because I do know really lovely police officers and I again have experienced shitty ones as well. And when I was arrested as a teenager you know, 15 years old in the cell and having the arresting officer basically tell me in in so many words that if I, you know, messed around with him that he would just sort of look the other way, which I then told my lawyer and then the case just magically disappeared. That officer is a problem because now what is, you know, I was a kid, so I didn't think about it. A huge problem. Yeah. So what has that cop done when he's now gone out in his daily arrests or whatever is he anyway you get what i'm saying i knew a police officer that did that did that same thing he was fired i mean but but he got caught on that incident but how many happened before that the lawyer that 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 made my case disappear should have then gone in and said this is why but nobody said anything nobody did anything you know as far as i know um yeah it's just it's 
it's so it's depressing. Sorry, everyone, to depress you, but that's where we are. Let's. No, okay, it is. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I still have hope. For just, yeah, I've got to have hope and action. Hope and action. Hope and action together. I think create um, uh, create a difference. Let's just just for shits and giggles. I want to hear a couple of your negotiation stories because I do think those are fascinating. Can you tell any of those without obviously naming names and, and all that kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we, we would go in on suicide barricade and then hostage takers, obviously way more suicide um, barricaded than, than hostage. You know, the, the hostage thing is pretty rare. Um, I mean, I think the the high point. I'll tell you the high point and the low point. Uh, start with low. So we start yeah, with yeah. the high point. <laughs> the low point, and this will this will point out, you know, a, a potential issue sometimes with law enforcement. But um, we had a, a a woman who had barricaded herself in her sister's home with a weapon, threatening suicide. She'd had some medical issues, had basically taken every pill that was in the house. And if that wasn't going to work, was going to kill herself with a shotgun. And so she, uh, uh, I walked up. Uh, it was a small town who called us in because they didn't have their own SWAT team. And typically on a negotiation, you gather intel, you get as much information. I literally walked up and the chief of the small town handed me the phone and goes, here, she wants to talk to you. And I go, well, and it was her. And it's a terrible way to get on there. But I spent... Uh, hours on the phone with her and 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 really she you know she was just saying no matter what uh i'm gonna die today there's nothing you're gonna be able to do and uh she hung up after several hours and i i told our team leader i said she's either dead or dying um we've got to go get her you know I, I can't do anything more you guys need to go get her we had a captain who had come from another agency that had retired that came over he was not SWAT, but he was in charge of us that's an issue and uh, he couldn't make a decision. Um, he said, well, but she has a weapon and, and him hot around. And, and, and uh, the team leader said, listen, you know, he said my last name. He said, never says he can't make this work. He always thinks he can. We need to go get her. He's, he's, he obviously there's nothing more to talk to her about. And uh, the captain wouldn't make a decision for about two hours. And then finally, OK, go in and get her. She was dead. Um, and, and I just, you know, it was the lowest point really for our team. Um, we felt like we could have saved her and, and, uh, it was just, it was horrific. Uh, still bothers me to this day. still bothers me. The high point was my very last negotiation was a guy who had been, who had run from the police. Um, and, uh, actually from some drug officers, he bought and dope or something had happened, but he ran from them, ran into an apartment and took an old man hostage at gunpoint. And, um, I finally made contact with him over the phone and we talked, um, and, and after about two hours, got him to come out and, and that was, and I knew I was done at that point. I, I wound up moving to another city at that point and kind of like Mike Groff, you know, I got this guy out, um, and, and really his main thing he was worried about coming out was getting beat up by the police. Um, he, he, and that's real important in negotiations is the surrender ritual. Um, people think that they're going to get beat up when they come out. And, and instead of, you know, you and I'd be, at first we would never do that, but you'd be wondering, God, I'm going to go to prison now. I did all this. They're just worried about getting beat up in that moment. And, uh, and then, so that's important to get with the operators and say, you know, 
guys coming out, everybody trying to bring the tempo down, everybody, you know, handling with kid gloves, if he cooperates. And that's what you tell, you know, the hostage taker. Look, as long as you do what they tell you to do, you're going to be fine. Um, but that was his main thing. And that's a big part of negotiations is finding what's actually important to that person and dwelling on that versus something else. Um, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, they have kids. Let's talk about their kids. They may hate their kids. That may be the absolute worst thing to talk about. And so what I got down with him is he just didn't want to get beat up that day. And he didn't. He came out and cooperated. And, you know, that's always the negotiation tactic, too, to say you can talk to the negotiator or the guys outside with the machine guns are going to beat your ass. It's your choice, you know. So, um, but th- those are that's probably the high point and low point. Um, talking some, I've, I've successfully talked to people out of killing themselves. That's a that's a good feeling. It's a, but I, I don't really recall any of those. I really just recall the one that died. You know, that's kind of sad, but mm-hmm. that's true. Do you feel like you have PTSD? Oh yeah, for sure. How do you deal with that? Um, you know, I mean, I've I've talked to counselors before. My my agency at the time did not provide any type of counseling. And I was actually um, at a conference, a, a negotiator conference, and befriended a man from a, a negotiator from another agency. And we talked about it. And he was like, man, you need to talk to somebody about this. It's been like three years. And he's like, you you, you got to talk. And he goes, we have to. We have to after something like that happens. And I think that's something that's supposedly getting better. But I think there has to be more of that you know, offered. And so I did that and, and, you know, it was, it, it dealt with me for five or six years really until I dealt with it. And, um, it's still there, but, um, very minimal at this point. Okay. And I think all cops have some PTSD. Yeah, you and just I see think things important. that you shouldn't. That's another one of those things that should be implemented is that there should be counseling provided to people. Definitely. Yeah. Mandatory. Yeah. And there is. Some agencies do have that. Yeah. Some do. I mean, across the board. I mean, yeah. for their own yeah. safety, as I imagine the suicide rate amongst officers is probably kind of high. Always high. It's always some of the highest there is. Yeah. Always. I've known several officers that have killed themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I know a private investigator, a lovely man uh, who has been on some horrifying cases and he has... He has a lot of PTSD, a lot, a lot, a lot of, yeah, it's, it's, lots going on. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I've been, I've been retired for a few years, but I still miss the teammates and, and, you know, still stay in touch with a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I mean, I miss the negotiation process. That was, it was always interesting to, to try to get somebody to not do something bad that they were thinking of doing and usually harming themselves. How do you get them to talk about what it is that is important to them? How do you draw that out of them? You know, open-ended questions. Don't ask yes or no questions. Try to get them, uh, you know, to talk about, um, to to try to get them to a point of no almost, you know, like saying, um, you know, (laughs) to where they, you know, well, you, you, I'm trying to think of kind of an example of that, but just get them to where you're not just saying you want to live, don't you? Yes. You know, you know, you want to get them to a point where they, they take a stand on something, you know, would you, would you be happy if you never, you find out they surfed? Would you be happy if you never surfed again? Well, no, no, man, actually I wouldn't. Okay. Now I've got them somewhere. I've got them at a place of no. So they're taking a stand on something. Um, and just, 
find out what's important to them. It's, it's listening, it's active listening, which nobody hardly does anymore. Um, and, and, and caring and being, you know, interested enough to say, you know, and cocky enough to say, I can get this person out of here. I can get them, you know, uh, I can listen and do my part to try to save them and just find out about them and, and listen when they talk about things and, and, and get them to a point where they're realistic about the whole situation because, and never lie to them. You know, it's, and, and, and I kind of have a harsh reputation amongst close friends is I never lie. If somebody was like, Hey, do you think this is a good idea? No, I don't. I, I find it easier, but in a negotiation, if you lie, you're done, you're done. And, th- and that's kind of what concerns me about things today. People giving facts on both sides that are lies. And we're going to go nowhere until the truth comes out. And the truth is somewhere right now in the middle. It's not what we're hearing. Um, but just getting to, to that point to where they're honest. And if they ask you, hey, man, is there a way that I can just go home and this I'll go over? No, it's not going to happen. Yeah. What's the most? Can I get a jet? Go ahead. What's the most intense negotiate, like a uh, bad guy negotiation you've ever or woman, I'm not going to be sexist. Women can be bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, honestly, the one that that the, the last one I did, he was very, very heavily contemplating killing the the hostage and himself. Oh, you know, okay. he just so that's yeah. I mean, that's that was probably you know I kind of brush over it, you know, because but it was hours, you know, of, of talking to him, and it just got to the point to where the surrender ritual and all that that he really just didn't want to. Yeah, didn't want to go back to prison. He was a he was a repeat offender, um, and and was really thinking about taking this old man's life. And he didn't know the man. It was just a random, yeah. random. He was running through an apartment and was trying doors, and that old man didn't lock his door. Always lock your doors. And uh, he went in and put a gun to his head and took him hostage. And and then they called us out, and and it was stressful because all the news stations were there filming, and we had a captain on site, not the same one from the. The lady, but who was just scared to death, and, and I had to calm him down. I'm like, everything's going to be fine, you know. I didn't really know that, but you have to, you have to, you know, calm the tempo down sometimes, and just go, everybody, chill out. Everything's going to work out, and it's going to be okay. Are you married? I am. Do you find that having negotiation skills helps? <laughs> Man, you know, I mean, I it, it, this is what it's way harder to, to it's way harder than a. SWAT negotiation to be married, I think. <laughs> um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I think because they know what buttons to push back on you. Sure. And, the, and a, a person in a SWAT situation doesn't. It's, it's a little more one-sided. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time hey, to talk with me. I really appreciate it. And that you were open to it, it it's it's really a, a big deal to me. So thank you for that. I hope everybody can just just uh, let's find the truth and everybody find the truth, you know, together. Yeah, amen to that. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right, bye. Thanks for listening. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.